Good morning. Um, this morning we are starting a new sermon series. I kind of feel like we cheated a little bit last week because we started it, but we started on Zoom. Um, and what a wonderful service that was. We got to think about the parables of Jesus and focusing specifically on what are our favorite parables or what are some of the lessons we've learned. So we're jumping right back in. And I think this kind of fits because we've just kind of come out of the Advent season. In Advent, we're reminded by the prophet Isaiah that Jesus comes down to be Emmanuel, God with us. And then throughout the Gospels and these stories of Jesus, you see that we have a God who wants to live and love to show us how to live and love to please God. But as he lives and loves to teach us how to uh, please God, he really is ushering in different forms of, of transformation. Jesus comes not just to die on the cross for our sins, not just as a baby, not just to come again, but not just even to teach us how to live in love, but to transform. And in these parables, you see that Jesus sought to transform the way people thought, and the way they thought about God, the way they thought about themselves, the way they thought about life, the way they thought about the world. Like, you may think God is like this, but really God is love the one who will never leave you or forsake you. You may really think that you're like this, but you're the one I so love that I'm willing to die for. You may think that this is the value of this world, but I want to tell you, where is your real treasure? You may think this is just the way the world is, but I want to tell you the world is more than even you can see. So as Jesus teaches, there's different ways in the gospel that he teaches, right? There's sermons that he gives, and we can't, well, we, I wasn't there. But they compiled a bunch of them into Matthew 5 to 7, you have the Sermon on the Mount. But it's also the fact that Jesus taught very much through discipleship. And how Jesus defined discipleship was doing life together, right? To actually navigate this world by him pouring into you so that you can go out. So we say that Jesus spoke to tens of thousands, and we assume that out of that tens of thousands, hundreds believed. But out of that hundreds, there's only 72 that he sends out. And out of that 72, there's only 12 that become his disciples. And out of those 12, there's four that forms his inner circle, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that he did life together every single day for three years pouring into. But also in the Gospels, you see that Jesus teaches through talking, through conversations. From one conversation with Nicodemus, we learn that God desires that we be born again, not to go back inside our mothers, but the idea of giving ourselves to God to be reborn into the people he created us to be, leaving the life of sin. From one conversation with the woman at the well, we learn that Jesus not only values women, but he actually thinks that they have a mouthpiece for his kingdom, and she becomes one of the first evangelists, maybe the first evangelist, to go back to her people and talk about Jesus. We learn from that one conversation that God desires our heart, that he wants us to worship in spirit and in truth, and that God belongs to everyone. So it's in these teachings that we find these parables. You know, I grew up calling them earthly stories with heavenly meanings, but the more I thought about it this week, when I think of heaven, I think about what is to come. So I think these are stories are really everyday stories, but they all have a kingdom meaning, because what Jesus wants you to know is that the kingdom of heaven is like and it's funny because when we think about what Jesus preached about the most, we might think it's love or mercy or forgiveness, but actually it's the kingdom. If you go through the entire Gospels, what Jesus is talking about before and time and time again is the kingdom. 
And like every good teacher, what I love about these parables is that Jesus is going to start with a base of understanding. Because most of us, and all of us, I would say, we learn by progressively adding. It's hard to just introduce a bunch of new stuff to us when we have no basis of understanding. So that's what Jesus does with these parables. He's going to start with what they know and then try to push them to how he wants them to think to how he wants them to see the kingdom, to how he wants them to understand God. So the parables then start by meeting us where we are, and Jesus, through these stories, wants to carry us to where God desires us to be. And this is important because we as humans love story. There is so much power in story. Your favorite movie is a story. Your favorite TV show is telling a story. Your favorite song even is telling a story. Your family, like mine, passes down stories. The entire scripture is what? The great story of God's revelation to us. And this is important to parables and us loving stories because we tend to think in pictures. And if one picture is worth a thousand words, then these stories paint the pictures for us. Because stories reveal character. They entertain. They pass down history. They teach truth. They linger. And in the pictures that you remember, so for example, when I think of diapers, right, the story that comes to mind is when I was born, my dad didn't know anything about having kids, like most young parents, and he didn't know anything about diapers. And my mom's like, we're out of diapers, go buy diapers, right? And I still do this, even though my kids are way out of diapers. When I'm in the store and I see the diaper aisle, I start cracking up. Because the story that was passed down is my dad saw all the diapers, was so overwhelmed, didn't know what to buy, so he bought the entire row, like the entire aisle, total much in his car, and my mom's like, what is wrong with you? But then after she picked out the one he wants, he's like, what do I do with all these diapers? She's like, I don't know. So he drove around the neighborhood knocking on the door, handing out diapers, right? Or, or when we think about stories, not just revealing character, but entertaining. To this day, I'm terrified of skunks, not just because they stink, but because when I first came from Africa, we were throwing out the garbage, me and my brother Joe. And, and again, you have a base of understanding. I didn't know what a skunk was, right? So all I saw was this little funny black and white thing. And I said, Joe. Look, it's a black and white monkey. And he's like, dude, that's a skunk. I was like, what's a skunk? He's like, run. So we just took off running. <laughs> Our stories pass down history. Like this weekend as a country and tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King. And I'm reminded of, of years ago when Chell and I were dating, we visited Atlanta and went to the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church and we walked the neighborhood. And you see not only in the museum, but the entire neighborhood, you feel the history of not just Dr. King or Coretta, but our people as African-Americans and the journey we've been on. So it's important that we pass down these stories. Because stories also have truth. And I was reminded this week about how growing up, sometimes I'd go to three or four different church services. And you would think that would be enough on a Sunday morning. But no, my, we would get woken up at 6 a.m. for family devotions. And I look at my children every day. I was like, aren't you so blessed? Like, aren't I such a great parent? I don't wake you up at 6 a.m. for family devos, right? You should know this. And they're 7 and 5, so they'll know this. Don't worry, I'll remind them. And speaking of my five-year-old, stories linger with us, don't they? Like when we don't want to go to bed and we just keep talking and talking and talking, right? And last night was funny because she's like, Dad, I have a bad memory. And I was just like, oh, this isn't good. Like, I know you're talking, talking, talking. I'm fine. You know, eventually you'll fall asleep, but this isn't good. And, you know, her sister just celebrated a birthday. So once we get through Harper's birthday, it becomes about Kennedy's birthday. Like, forget that it's three months ahead, but you just need to be preparing, you know? So she's like, Dad, I have a bad memory. And I was just like, what's the bad memory? And she's just like, Remember last year I had a unicorn balloon for my birthday? And I know where the bad memory is because this unicorn balloon just would not die. I am a very much pacifist, but after three weeks in your house, you know, of deflating balloon, you just want to get rid of it. And I'm such a good dad that I didn't get rid of it. But she has an older sister. 
And one day Harper was just like, I think it's time we're done with this balloon. And she just crushed the balloon, you know? So my five-year-old says, I have a bad memory when Harper took away my unicorn balloon. And I was like, it's okay. This year we might get another unicorn balloon. And that was enough to fall asleep, right? So stories are important because they do all these things to us. They reveal character. They entertain. They pass down our history. They, they teach truth. Or, or maybe they just linger and stick with us. And that's the power of these parables. Because every single time, no matter how familiar, you will learn a little bit more about the character of God, about the character of the kingdom, or even the character of this world. You will be entertained. You will hear the history of not just the Jewish people, but all of God's people. You will hear the truth of God. But hopefully, they will linger longer than a unicorn balloon. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Um, the parable of the mustard seed is just two verses. So Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. will be up on the screen. I'll just read them for us. Starting at verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch on its branches. Let's pray together. I found a God, we thank you that you are indeed the God who grows. The God who grows not only his kingdom, but a God who grows us. The God who sends the Son to save us, to teach us how to live and love to please you, but also remind us that the kingdom has come. We thank you that you're the God who grows us by sending the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that transforms us, that takes your word and your scripture and illuminates it for us, that takes your people and inspires us that takes this world and points us back to you through creation. And Father God, we thank you for you, that you are indeed the God who loves us, that you're indeed the God who holds us, you're indeed the God who never leaves us nor forsakes us, you're indeed the God who is there and who's here with us now. So you, God, who grows, we pray that in us and through us, you may grow your kingdom. We pray that in us and through us, you may grow your work in this world. In your holy and precious name, amen. What's fascinating about this parable of the mustard seed is that it's one of the oldest ones and one of the most talked about ones. When you start off, you realize that the, the, the actual mustard seed that Jesus is talking about is a very small seed, but it was very familiar to people. In fact, it was maybe about one millimeter and it was found around the Sea of Galilee and up and down Palestine. This small seed, though, was also the one that would grow to be the tallest of a species. In fact, sometimes it's to grow up to nine feet. You know, how big is nine feet about a foot short in the basketball court? Or, or in their day and age, it's like, think about somebody on a horse and a mounted horse. And, and the other thing that was fascinating about these mustard seeds is that even though they would grow into these bushes or, or even small trees, that they weren't necessarily garden plants. They were wild. They weren't controlled. But they would also be big enough that the birds of the field, like linnets and finches, would come and dwell with them. So everyone, when Jesus says, let me tell you about a mustard seed, they'd be like, aha. Uh -huh. I know the mustard seed, because the mustard seed wasn't just this bush that was out there, it was also a seed that was in their house, right? So they would use the mustard seed as, as oil for the cooking, or as spices for the cooking. Some people would even use it as medicine. It would be part of different medicines that would use to teach exciting things like serpent and scorpion bites. Or if you had a toothache, apparently you could use the mustard seed for that. Asthma, epilepsy, tetanus, all these other maladies in the ancient world had some form of mustard. So you have to understand that when Jesus says, let me tell you about the mustard seed, this is something that everyone would have known. It would have been common to all. It's like me saying Siri or Alexa have a mind of their own, right? Or it's like me saying, I'm over COVID. You'd be like, yeah, me too. 
everyone has this idea of what the mustard seed does. Or like those are my favorite ones, right? If you're coming to an HBIC event, there's going to be giant fried chicken. You just know it's going to be there, right? You just, if it's not there, something's wrong, right? But everyone knows what he's talking about because it's familiar and common to everybody. But Jesus is going to take this familiar thing that they're used to using for cooking, that they're used to using as medicine, that they're used to using all over or seeing all over the land, and he's going to say, this is what the kingdom is like. It's something that's small, but it's going to grow rapidly. It's not going to be controlled in your garden. It's going to be out in the world. But it's going to be big enough that others can come and rest in it. It's this commonly used thing that was not unclean. It was elevated in that culture to a certain extent. But Jesus is going to say it's not insignificant. And in this parable, Jesus begins with this basic idea of the people knowing and expecting the kingdom to be established. Years ago, I told the story before about, you know, I was coming back from New York City, and it was like in between Christmas and New Year's in college, and it was like 2 or 3 in the morning, and we're like half asleep right? Coming back from the city. And right before we get on the train, I look across the, the I guess, the pile there, and there's an a, a Orthodox Jew in full Orthodox garb, like full head and toe. And I'm like, not thinking about why am I out the house at 2 a.m. I'm like, why are you out the house at 2 a.m., right? And that was enough to spark my curiosity. And I had this conversation. His name was Tobit, Tobit the Jew. And what was fascinating to me was I went over to ask him about his Orthodox gear and why he's out at 2 a.m. I was bold at 19 years old, you know? It's just like, why are you out the house? What's wrong with you? You not should be here, you know? But he was gracious. And as he talked to me about not only what he was wearing, but about his culture, the one thing he said to me when he was leaving, he was just like, you know, it's interesting because you Christians believe Messiah has come. I was like, yeah, Jesus has come. What are you talking about? He's like, but we Jews hold on to the idea that even today Messiah might come. I was like, you mean come again? He's like, Today, Messiah might come. And I was like, yeah, you mean come again? He's like, no, no, no. We wake up every single day saying Messiah might come today. And after he got on his train and left, I sat with that and I thought about it. And I thought about how for a lot of us, when we say Jesus is coming back, it's an idea. But we don't wake up every day with the expectation that today might be the day that Jesus comes back. Because that same thing that he holds on to was what the ancients held on to. So it wasn't just that they were waiting for the kingdom to come. It's they expected every day when they woke up that Jesus might come. And there's a difference there between knowing Jesus is going to come again than to wake up every day saying, day is today the day you're coming back. So these are the people he's talking to. And to these people, Jesus says, the kingdom has already come. It's come through me, your Lord and Savior. It's come through the scriptures. It's come through the followers. And it's going to start small and grow to big. It's come through Jesus, who's come not just for the Jewish people or the ancients awaiting the kingdom, but John reminds us, right, for God so loved the world. So when Jesus comes to bring in the kingdom, it's not for even a people or us individually. It's for all the world. And when you go through the the revelation of Scripture, you see that the story of God is for all the world. Whether you start with Adam, or you go to Abraham, or you go to Noah, or you go to David, or you go to Jesus, every single time God makes a covenant for the people, it's for the world. God called Adam in the Adamic covenant to remember that the Savior is going to come to crush the devil forever. God sent to Noah that I will protect the people forever. God sent to David that a son will come that will bless the world. And when Jesus the Son comes, the world is blessed. When God comes for the kingdom, he comes for the world. And that's something that all of us should remember. Remember. 
because we do really well to think about how individually Jesus loves us. For God so loves the world. And how does that impact how we're living today? How does that impact what we're building for in this world? How does that impact the decisions that we're making? Not just that God loves me, not just that God loves you, but God so loves the world. And so when Jesus tells these parables, it's stories that's not just for his followers, it's not just for the ancients, it's for all the world. It's for all the believers. It's for everyone who will ever come. And that's why they keep going on and on and on. Because the followers of Jesus are both citizens in heaven and ambassadors on earth. And that's something we have to live with, knowing that, yes, our place is sealed forever. That, yes, that we, our destinies are sealed forever. But while we're on this earth, just like God left Adam and Eve, right, created in his own image to be literally what he calls the image is a, a, a kind of akin to what we have as statutes, right? That when you see the statue, you're reminded of who that person is and you're reminded of their story. When God leaves us behind, he says to each of you, when the world sees you, they should be reminded of me and they should know my story. So then that asks us, how are we living to tell the story of God? How in the interaction with us are people experiencing God? How when they see us, they see our Father? And so Jesus calls us to not just be the citizens of heaven and the world to come, but even right now to be these ambassadors. And so the mustard seed, while it represents the kingdom that starts and grows, it also then represents us. Because we then become the seed as well that God plants and grows in the world. And it's fascinating because even when you look at the funnel, right? Jesus preaches to tens of thousands, hundreds believe, 72 go out, 12 are disciples, four inner circle. After Jesus goes up to heaven, I think it's in Acts chapter 1, we learn that there's maybe about 120 believers. So out of all those people he preached to, after he dies, the number is around 120 in Acts chapter 1. And of course, you have the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes down and, and Peter preaches this sermon and over 3,000 are added to their number. And the whole book of Acts charts this growth. But I wanted to chart this growth another way and I thought this was interesting. About 70 years after Jesus' ascension, about 100 AD, we believe that this all guesstimates, right? There's about one out of 364 people in all the world who would identify themselves as Christian. You zoom up a thousand years, right, or 900 years to 1000 AD, you go from one out of 364 to one out of every 222. You go a little 500 years, right? A little plague in there, here and there, you know, Christians actually help save the world because they love people through the plague. It's a fascinating thing, right? As the world is in plague, the Christians are loving. They're willing to embrace, they're willing to love, they're willing to show who God is, not who they are, but who their God is. And the church grows because in 1500, you go from one out of 222 to one out of 69. And then in 1900, the world experiences maybe its first documented, right, population bump. And in 1900 AD, we think there's about uh, 1.3 billion people in the world. Of that 1.3 billion, one out of every 27 considered themselves Christians. 50 years later in 1950, we go from one out of 27 to one out of 22. Five years or 30 years from that in 1980, we go from one out of 22 to one out of 11. And then in 1995, we have one out of five. And right now it's almost one out of four. 
or maybe a little bit less than one out of four, because I think technically there's about 2.3 billion Christians and 7.9 billion in the world. So do the math and whatever you formula you get. So it's a little bit less than one out of four. And I tell you all that to say the funnel has been created, that Jesus tells how big invests in small, but the small mustard seed goes out into the world. And he's not coming back until that last person is saved. And my favorite part about this parable isn't that it's small and it grows big. It isn't even that it's wild and can't be controlled. It isn't even that the, the bush or the tree comes out. My favorite part is that the, everyone in the audience would know about these birds that would come and rest. The linnets, which I learned this week are part of the finch family, but I didn't even know what a finch was. So there you go, right? Thank God for Wikipedia. It's quick. But everyone would know that as these bushes grow up, the birds would come and rest. And there's a very interesting lesson on here because we think we know exactly what Jesus is talking about. But what's interesting about, and it's a reminder to us about why we need to not just read scripture by ourselves and individually, why we need community. Because what Jesus says to us is important, but what Jesus says to the community, I would argue, is much more important. It's not just about what you think about God, it's about what we think about God. It's not just about how you experience God, it's how we experience God. So there's some people who, when they first read this parable, would be like, oh, those are the false teachers that are coming, and they're going to come, and we have to kick them out of the bush. But it doesn't make sense, because in these mustard seed bushes, the birds would rest. So they went back to the, 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 the drawing board, I guess. I don't know if they had drawing boards back then. They said, but what could he possibly mean? And they went back to the Old Testament. And they realized in the Old Testament that when God refers to the Gentiles, or when God's talking about the world, he sometimes calls them birds. And so then they come back and say, if it's not the false teachers that rest in the bushes, who is it? Then they went back to Isaiah. And they saw the verse where God says, yes, when my house is built, it'll be a house of prayer for all the nations. And they remember the sermons of Isaiah, which reminded them that, yes, you're Israel. Yes, you're God's people. But as God's people, I've created you for what? A light to the nations. So then they come back and they realize that the birds, the finches, and the linnets that, that rest in the bush is the world. So this small mustard seed that grows into this bush has to be accommodating for others on the outside to come and rest because we Gentiles are indeed the birds and the kingdom has a home for us. So then this challenges us. Like all these parables are going to challenge us. The beauty of parables, I think it's Wearsby who says parables are like mirrors and windows, right? They're mirrors because they show us ourselves. But they're windows because they also show God and life in this world. So as we think about the mustard seed that grows to bear all this fruit, the question becomes for us this morning, how am I growing to bear fruit? There's a lot of us who think about growing. There's a lot of us who want to get deeper. There's a lot of us who want to grow in our walk with God. But the question isn't that you want to grow in your walk with God. The question is, how are you growing to bear fruit? Because again, Jesus isn't just some self, um, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, like a self-betterment plan, right? Like Jesus is not just interested in you being the best version of yourself. That's not Jesus. That's not the kingdom. That's hopefully a good byproduct of the kingdom. But God desires you to grow because as long as you're here, there's work to do. 
As long as there's only one in four people who know Jesus, there's work to do. As long as there's still neighbors and co-workers that don't know Jesus, there's work to do. As long as there's family members who don't know Jesus, there's work to do. So it's not just about saying, God, how do I grow? It becomes, how am I growing to bear fruit? How am I growing to share the gospel? How am I growing to invite others in? How am I growing to be an image in the likeness of Jesus that when they see me, they see our Father? How am I growing to bear fruit? And then the joy of the kingdom is that we're all not just meant to, to pour out, but we're also meant to be poured into. So part of that question also has to be, who's pouring into me? Because I'm going to go on empty if no one is pouring into me. So it's not just how am I growing to bear fruit, and it's not even just how am I helping others to grow to bear fruit, it's who's helping me to bear fruit. Who's pouring into me to help me grow? Because I need to be filled up so that I can pour out into someone else who needs to be filled up so that they can pour out. And I think the other thing I want us to hold on to this morning is if we are indeed the mustard seed, then maybe we just have a little speck of faith this morning about something. I think that's one of the most fascinating things about about walking with God, is that at different points in your life, or at different points in, in other people you walk with lives, right? There's things that they might never worry about. For example, when you're young, you don't really think about your health. And then as you get older, all you think about is your health. When you're older, you might not think about your security because you're retired, everything's there, right? But when you're young, all you think about is like, are they really going to have social security or is that just me? There's every time we go through this life, there's going to be things that come easy to us in faith. Like for me, I do not worry about my children, like, and it's not because, like, I'm some holy person. It's because I'm like, I'm out already. You know, I'm at my wit's end. God, you got the rest. Like, we're just going to try our best and send them out there. Good luck, God. And I'm fine with that. But there's other places in my life, like, when I'm driving and someone's next to me, I'm like, God, do I really trust this person? You know, like, I don't know how they left the house this morning, but it's a little too close, right? There's other places in our lives or something that's some of us very serious, whether it's finances whether for some people it's recovery, or whether for some people it's, it's image issues and how you see yourselves, or whether for some of us it's the struggles we have mentally, or the struggles we have physically, or the struggles we have medically, right? There's so many of these things that weigh us down. But I think the parable of the mustard seed says, if I'm willing to trust God just a little bit in this struggle that I have, perhaps he can grow me in trust, in reliance, in dependence, of him. So the mustard seed isn't just about us starting slow and becoming this big kingdom. It's about us starting with a little bit of faith and trusting God with that little bit of faith. And the place I struggle with on this now is some people in my life who I know aren't living how they should be living. And it's not just they're not following God, but they're making active decisions to hurt themselves, and there's nothing you can do. And in my faith, I feel like it gets weathered and weathered and weathered. But what I'm learning in this mustard seed is that if I have just a little bit of faith, a little bit more today than I did yesterday, and I trust God with them, because if I can trust God with my children, I can trust God with them too. So the mustard seed reminds us that, yes, we need to be poured into, we need to be pouring out of, we need to be sharing the gospel and growing, but we also need to know that the small areas in life that we struggle 
we can give those to God with whatever faith we have, whatever offering we have, and God will take it and nurture it and grow it. So as we leave this morning, even before we get to communion, the other questions I want to ask is, how are you meeting people where they are? Because I think that's a question we have to answer as a church body, but also then as individuals. How is my life and faith meeting people on the outside? How is how I live and these choices I make bringing people into the kingdom? How am I sowing little seeds? Because all of us are in touch with, acquainted with, friends with, family with, people on the outside that God needs you to bring in. And that's what I want us to hold on to as we think about the mustard seed. That the kingdom is here. That the kingdom has come. That the kingdom is going forth. That we've come from, what, one out of 364 to one out of four people in this world believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But as long as we're here, how is God using you as that tiny little mustard seed to usher in the kingdom? How in your life are you living to point people to God? How are you growing to bear fruit? Who is investing in you to bear fruit? And who are you investing in so that they can bear fruit? And if there's doubt or there's struggle or there's an area of concern, what little offering do you have to God? to gift them that concern, to gift them that worry, and say, God, this is all I have right now. Help my unbelief. God, this is all I have right now, but I give it to you. Lord, I need you, and I'm glad I'm safe with you. That's the work of the mustard seed parable. That yes, the kingdom is going to grow, and it's going to be amazing, but also that you are seeds of God's kingdom. And until Jesus comes back, you need to grow. And you need to be amazing by welcoming others in. We're going to end our service with communion this morning. Pastor Hannah and I will be up front. I trust that as you came in, you received the elements. Um, if you didn't, there's elements in the back. You can probably go now, or if you put your hand up, someone can get you some as well. In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. We ask not that you're a member of this church, although that would be nice, but we just welcome everyone to the table who's indeed the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think Pastor Linda's in the back. I don't know if someone's on this side. If you need anything, just raise your hand. They'll be able to get it to you. Uh, we ask that you just follow us through the liturgy as we go through it up front.